Hello, you are listening to a podcast dedicated to sound art, which is initiated within the framework of contemporary art magazine A Shade Colder. My name is Mari Kago. I work as a curator and archivist at the Estonian Center for Contemporary Art. And before I introduce my exciting first guest in the podcast series, Magic Sound, I'd like to thank Karel Sachs, aka Kubus Larvik, for the soundtrack, and the new media department at the Estonian Academy of Arts for providing the means to record this conversation. First episode in the series is dedicated to the question of how the experience of landscape can be transferred through sound art. I invited artist John Krizinic to the studio, who's been composing, performing and exhibiting since the mid-1990s, and whose recent performances have lingered on my mind for their ability to simulate parallel world-building through sound and spoken word. Thank you for joining me and welcome. Well, thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, you returned from a so-called world tour, <laughs> performing at uh, sound art festivals in Bolivia and the Netherlands. I imagine both experiences being very different. Um, how would you describe them? Well... <laughs> Yeah, not quite a world tour, but uh, yeah, uh, extending, starting in Amsterdam uh, at Sonic Acts, which is a very well-established festival that's been running a long time, um, and then moving to La Paz, Bolivia, uh, for the Sonandes uh, Biennale, uh, which is also, it's the fifth edition, so it's it has some history. But yeah, both contexts are very different, uh, and I'm... I was very fortunate to be able to kind of combine both of those in one trip. So it's hard to say because uh, I wouldn't say either is representative of anything because the field has really changed a lot. In the, you know, it's constantly in flux and so it's uh, changed a lot in the last even five, ten years. Um, so I think both festivals really embraced this kind of dynamism that uh, has sort of infused what was once very much a kind of very small niche scene, uh, even globally. Um, and what was great really was to to kind of get a overview of, let's say, the kind of Central European perspective uh, via Amsterdam and Sonic Acts, um, and then move into South America, which is where there's very much a, a kind of parallel world happening um and to to kind of you know even though there are links uh um they're still quite different yeah i mean we would have to talk specifics i guess i guess so but um i mean as you already brought out the um, sound art scene has been in constant flux and um i listened uh, to an interview you gave in 2014 at the radio show Kunsti Ministerium and uh, back then you described sound art uh, as uh, it was going through a process of maturity and it uh, came from uh, increasing amount of exhibitions, publications, online activity and sharing sound art but um, 
yeah, now in 2022, like, how do you, like, calibrate yourself? I mean, the nice thing is, you know, where once you had sort of an overview, now, you mm. know, you get completely lost and, and you realize that how many parallel tangents are running and not only even within the art field, but how sound has sort of permeated into into other fields like, uh, I don't know, different disciplines like uh, uh, anthropology or uh, geography or um, it's also gone very much into the visual arts. So it's kind of gotten adopted as a sort of long lost <laughs> forgotten child in a way. So um, so it's sort of being rediscovered by by also by artists who uh, are kind of I think looking more for let's call it like a sensory expansion or a sensory awareness which is goes beyond the kind of classical visual art uh, uh, kind of what I call sensory regime uh, so I think what's good is just yeah this sort of healthy uh, I think vibrancy um, in in kind of yeah awakening to our senses mm. uh. but uh considering your recent performances in two sound art festivals did they have like different focuses yeah so in sonic acts i had a uh an installation which was basically a wind harp uh powerless flight and the formalized version of this started at Copperleg here, <laughs> not far from Tallinn, uh, in Raewald. Um And uh, Jana Bergman kind of pushed me to, yeah, to actually make it more of a, a kind of formalized art piece. Um, and in fact, those are still standing uh, out in the field there. And so I've done multiple versions of this now. Uh, and so the one at Sonic X started actually at another festival called Here Here in, in Leuven in Belgium uh, in the autumn. And then the, the installation has actually traveled to multiple places. So Sonic X is the third, uh, was the third place. And then uh, actually next summer in Monheim, Germany, there will be uh, a fourth incarnation of them. So I had the sound... Uh, they had the wind harp installation, which was up as part of the exhibition. And related to that, uh, we did what was called field walks, uh, which were sound walks around the territory where the festival was held uh, at Hethem, which is uh, a kind of new art area in the north of Amsterdam. And so sticking to this kind of ecological or environmental theme, I decided to focus on wind so we did two field walks which were wind-based and we kind of improvised and I tried to get uh, the participants to really tune into how uh, wind kind of can not only be wind but it just how much we can actually try to tune ourselves into the behavior uh, and yeah, uh, qualities or capacities of wind to be an instigative force. Uh, so we kind of, it was very much improvisatory, uh, but both walks went well. And in fact, uh, on one day, the from one day to the next, the wind completely changed direction, like going from west to east and then east to west. 
Um, so I had to also adapt uh, the walk to these conditions, which is basically part of the what it's about. Um, and then in La Paz, I did another workshop, which is something I've done for quite some time now, which is, I would call it the the kind of human social elements of, of sound and kind of embodied practice, to use a sort of fancy term. But basically it's uh, working with everyday objects and trying to coordinate how we can sort of animate uh, things that we use in our everyday lives and to kind of turn them into instruments and work with objects in space and with each other to coordinate a kind of uh, performative action. Uh, so it's called it uh, Sounding Objects, Sounding Spaces. Uh, and related to that, I had a performance, which is something I don't actually do that often, but I came up with a new kind of concept this summer <laughs> where... Uh, again, I tried to break down the the barriers between audience and performer. So it was basically this this new performance. Is I call it. It's related to the idea of swarming. So um, I made a composition for mobile phones. So basically, it's an invitation for everyone in the audience to play the same track on their phones and behave as a swarm within the space. So we performed. Uh, uh, yeah, the swarming action in a theater with about 50 people. Uh, and it, it went quite well, I have to say. The audience really responded positively. And uh, so I'm going to be doing a lot lot more of these, I think, swarming actions, uh, both in workshops and in, I guess, public mm-hmm. uh, engagements and so on. So, so I did sort of, I mean, similar things, trying to involve people and engage them in the, you know, my own sensory practice, um, but with different kind of techniques or formats. Do you think like um, uh, the the fact that um, our daily lives are enriched by digital, um, I don't know, gadgets or like uh, technologies somehow have... um, influenced your sound art practices? Well, that was one of the ideas with the swarming, which was to take this device, you know, your smartphone, which has become super personalized, and to actually depersonalize it and and to try to, you know, make it anonymous, but still be an agent of sorts. Um, But in general, it's something I think anyone who has started in the sort of pre-digital age like uh, yourself, has, yeah, has, has kind of struggled with on mm-hmm. and off over the years. Um, you know, on the one hand, it, yeah, I think the internet and digital files and so on have really opened up things and made, you know, a lot of the ability to record and share information uh, quite convenient. But it's also made things a lot more complex and and sort of chaotic. Uh, and to the point where I think a lot of us are feeling uh, like overly saturated. Exactly. So, so it's one of those things I think we constantly struggle with. But at the same time, I'm not going to pretend it doesn't. You know that it's not there. You know, uh, I work with younger kids. I have a child as well, and and these are things we kind of wrestle with all the time. And uh, 
you know, it, you can't really just simply ignore it and, and hope it's going to go away. Uh, Even though I've, I've heard like stories about um, new generation using mobile phones that are produced in the year that they were born. So that's some kind of a new trend that I'm like looking for where it goes to. Um, but um, what is the thing you search for in sonic phenomena as an artist? Um, you have said all also before that sound has like a social aspect of it as it is shared. I mean, that's a, taking that as a starting point. I think the most crucial thing is to uh what i say is a kind of develop a culture of listening um because kind of going deeply into trying to listen and understand what listening really is and and how it affects us um really can have broader cultural implications um you can see this nowadays with you know, just take your everyday political discourse, you know, that goes on in mainstream and uh, and the fight over mainstream media and so on. And, and a lot of it is really trying to play on who has a privilege not to listen, you know, who has the right to, to just say what they feel but not actually take into account others' viewpoints or perspectives and so on. And, and so much of that is really about what what listening is for us. Um, and so in situations where I work with people, you know, in workshops or with, you know, public kind of, you know, programs and so on, um, it's to reach the point of, uh, kind of listening as a shared experience, you know, a commoning of, of experience so that we, you know, enter in, that we still really understand that, that such spaces are, are possible and important for us um and so it is you know it is related in a way to things like dialogue and uh, uh and so i guess <coughs> going from there it's to go one step further which is you know with listening is to go beyond actually human centered perception or understanding of of listening which is that we don't always have to only listen to ourselves. Yeah, that there's a whole world of sound that exists uh, in other, you know, non-human living beings, living worlds uh, that we have, are able to explore um, and really equalize with. Yeah, it's the equalizing of the, of the human-centered world that we've kind of constructed and adapted ourselves to, but to, to also uh, really extend that and to try to, you know, put more balance uh, into that, into into the ways that we we perceive, you know, the world that we live in. So it it might seem quite deep at first, but um, if it becomes a more of a kind of common practice or an everyday understanding, um, I think it can also change uh, our own relationship to you know, our troubled relationship, really, to the world that we're inhabiting, you know, our planetary <laughs> world. It's very comforting to hear, actually, of a person so empathic. Like, it's it's nice to have you around. 
What places attract your attention for its sound quality or how do you recognize a landscape worthy of recording? It's a good question. I mean, it's so much of it is really context dependent. So I can be, you know, while it, it can come across as sort of, you know, falling into this nature culture duality that, that uh, you know, gets easily framed as like you know, that you could be purist about nature and so on. Um, it's not, uh, I'm much more ambivalent than it might seem um, because I can be as equally fascinated by the the most sort of brutal, you know, human <laughs> environment, let's say, as a, a kind of uh, heavy architectural acoustic space you know, without much, let's say, natural elements versus, you know, finding myself in a in an amazing forest on a, you know, early spring morning and, and hearing the, uh, you know, all the, the bird activity and so on. Um, and that's, I think, again, this equalizing effect of, of understanding the kind of power of listening uh, and really perceiving the world. Because I guess if you respond to those different spaces or places as environments um it's it's a it's a way of acknowledging kind of what they are uh and so uh so it's there's no real need to overly prioritize uh them as spaces particular kinds of spaces as such um because again if you for example record it you know, one of the practices I do is just, yeah, kind of field recording. Um, it It is a way of extracting something from those places and being able to replay it uh, anywhere in different contexts, you know, different, and anyone can listen to it if you, for example, share it online. Um, so, uh, so in that sense of, I guess, yeah, I mean, it still ends up being a bit passive. You know, we're not talking about actually trying to engage or or re redesign a lot of those places. I think that's a that's a very different kind of discussion. But at least the places that I you know, the, or the moments that I really uh, kind of in, attract or inspire me. I guess it's just you know a place that sort of pulls me in or allows me to to kind of lose a bit of myself. Uh, How often do you go like sound hunting? Because I just do it on a daily level. It could be just, you know, while I go walk the dog or something. <laughs> um, it doesn't mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be like... A, so you don't have to... Like you don't go like with a specific idea like uh, I'm going to the far north of... I don't know, like some forgotten lands to get some specific sound. Yeah, because I maybe I'm I'm definitely less utilitarian than maybe some artists who have like a very specific concrete project in mind so that they go. I mean, I have I have been there, you know, in one of the projects that I think that we've shared this uh, uh, geofractions. Um, 
which is really an engagement with a you know extractive mining landscapes this is then this is very intentional in in you know trying to go and and to try to capture some essence about about a specific place or a specific environment um so it depends yeah i guess it's just about the intentionality of what what you want to get from it mm-hmm. but i i try not to overly exoticize like certain places you know it's been a huge trend of course to try to go to i don't know greenland or antarctica you know but like as much as i can be fascinated with those places i don't i don't want to prioritize them over my own backyard basically oh <laughs> so everything is horizontal in that sense in value yeah at least yeah you mentioned the uh, geofractions uh, at the Estonian Mining Museum and uh, you also gave a performance there mm-hmm. uh, last year and uh, it was a very i would say like a private performance there wasn't much audience so that's even more that i cherish this memory of this uh, experience it was um, it was really nice and and uh, is it so that um recently you've started to use spoken word yeah it's that was very much an exception i guess i mean it comes up every now and again but i don't i don't think of myself as a, like a spoken word artist but i i guess it was partly about the context um wanting to include some kind of concrete message or element and to pull it from what could be perceived as a very abstract kind of sonic experience Mm -hmm. uh, into something that's very real and I think it was partly also because when you're doing the performance in the actual context of where much of the work took place and the you know the longer historical context of these mining environments um I do feel a need to try to uh maybe play on that and and to bring back these concrete elements in there because you know one thing is to be in a kind of more white cube setting in a gallery but then it yeah you feel like it's anonymous so you're you're in control of everything but but really it was for me it was kind of this acknowledgement that like yes what is happening there is ongoing and it will continue to go on you know indefinitely we don't know so therefore it will have some historical consequences and so i was sort of trying to project into this uh you know somewhat science fiction sounding future which is actually not <laughs> probably not so science fiction that was i think you know again why to write these down so for background information for the listeners um the recordings of the um uh, mining were played um how to say this they were recorded um 10 years ago was or more or less within yeah, the I even, I even checked my first recording was actually 2007 uh when we when I originally went to the mining museum to get the tour and I have a recording of the train mm-hmm. <laughs> that's down underground there so that was my sort of initiation into the into that environment and then over 
this period uh, until the exhibition I've been continually collecting sounds from Idaviroma.
in the context where sound may seem too abstract, you anchor those abstract uh, sounds with um, spoken word and it gives like the frame that you you position yourself as a listener and uh, that is very generous actually and it's a good uh, method because uh, sometimes of course like I appreciate sound for being abstract and uh, allowing myself to think whatever I want but sometimes I also really appreciate if if I get like a helping hand through a word sure and I think I was also thinking about again going back to like mainstream political discourse and how you know the conversations around uh, the extraction of oil shale and this continuing to use this as a you know energy source is very controversial and how much the actual discussion is silenced you know and and people i know who have been tried to bring the issue into you know parliament and so on and have been silenced you know in par- in parliament that even if the discourse is rather fragmented and and uh, and repressed i think we should still in our minds try to articulate how we feel and and write it down you know even as as you know citizens and artists uh to try to to still project ourselves into these you know kind of complicated futures mm-hmm. um, sometimes uh, sounds or even like like just um, some kind of ambience um, structures my um, subconscious and somehow I manage to concentrate better and it's somehow like just reconstructs my sensibilities I'm wondering how does uh, sound work for you what kind of effect does it have to your body or mental state Ooh, that's like uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like it might sound strange but it's it's like the, the sort of personal lifelong experiment um because for you know when I have kind of discussions with other artists who work with sound and you know you try to figure out why why me you know what what brought me here it's it's such a strange minority you know what <coughs> what happened to my is some kind of defect or whatever so <laughs> it's and it's really different for everybody it's it's hard to say so um it's not very yeah it, again it might seem strange but it, i don't i don't have any sort of rational scientific uh explanation explanation for like you know what it does for me i don't really subscribe to like you know a lot of the stuff weird information you'll find on youtube videos or whatever about mystical frequencies and blah 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 i mean i it's uh it's kind of a lot of bogus stuff for me because it involves a certain type of belief um so there's a much more simple explanation which is like i try to you know surround myself with the sounds i want to hear you know it's kind of basically just saying it's um it's like just listen to your favorite music and if you don't have a favorite music, try to find it, you know, figure out what that is. Uh, 
um, because sound obviously and music does things for people that are not easily explainable um, and you can go very far into it you know if you want to get mystical there's obviously you know there isn't really as far as I know like you know shamanic cultures that embrace sort of trance states and things like that which are not connected to sound in some way yeah um, uh, and so also communication with other things that you know are not rational for us or uh, you know different entities and beings and so on so it, it, it there are a lot of you know even metaphors sonic metaphors about this uh, this kind of experiences so so I think it's just really to follow your interests and and how it makes you feel and actually don't try to you know overly rationalize it just enjoy that ambiguity and that you know um, uh, and that kind of I guess unic unexplainableness of the <laughs> experience of it uh, well guess you have a specific taste for it and that's it yeah you know because it has been a journey I I'm really into music I you know like we were talking about before with college radio and so on I mean I listen to all kinds of you know when I was younger in high school I was just trying to absorb everything I could hear and and realize that there's such an incredibly diverse musical world out there and once you sort of go in into and realize the depth of the spectrum <laughs> of what's out there you realize that there's no way to rationalize it you can't explain it yeah especially when you understand the diversity and the types of musics and so on um you can be very scientific in a in a musicological sense uh, about it but even to 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 sort of rationalize even you know one tenth of one percent of all the music that exists it's uh, you're already talking about it you know an incredible amount of work uh, and by whose and what's perspective you know um, one of the great things about listening and especially different kinds of music is that you know you can really enter into a completely different context uh, and it reflects a whole culture and, and way of understanding the world and so on. Uh, so, so to be on the creative side of that uh, is a quite a powerful thing. Um, and I try not, even though I do have a lot of conceptual leanings, I try not to overly, you know, <laughs> mystify uh, or not mystify, yeah, mystify it or or implant too many ideas into people's heads about what what it is uh you know so um, because it's important that's i think also one of the sacred aspects of it is just having that imaginary space you know what comes into your head when you listen to certain kinds of sounds or musics or or immerse yourself into different environments mm -hmm. um, and this is something that yeah i think we could certainly practice more i agree and for this um I also chose a recording of yours, uh, a track uh, titled Recurrent Territories, uh, which is recorded and produced in numerous places over the years of 2003 and 2005. Uh, yeah, that's from the CD, Equal and Distant Lines, um, which unfortunately never got fully released. 
maybe that's also why it's information is hard to find about it but most of the copies are sitting in a closet in switzerland um it's a long story but but anyway um i do like <laughs> that city and especially that specific period in time because it was sort of my slow settling time into estonia but still traveling a lot so equal and distant lines is is just sort of realizing that these different travels that you have uh sometimes they do converge at certain points uh and so so a lot of that was yeah connected to the the traveling at the time and the collecting sounds from these different places which you know where i lived <laughs> periods of my life um so it was kind of a maybe a sort of form of closure to actually compose with these sounds well thank you so much john for joining me and uh, launching this uh, podcast series sure it sounds like it would be a good great series i hope <laughs>
Thank you.